Support for Georgia College Connections comes from Georgia College, Georgia's public liberal arts university, providing the experience students would expect from a private college with the affordability of a public university. For more information, gcsu.edu. Thank you for tuning in to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. I'm your host, Daniel McDonald. Study abroad can be an opportunity for students to see the world, learn a language, and make the most of higher education. But my guests today set out this summer to learn about progressive business practices from companies based in and around the Netherlands in Europe. Joining me today to talk about corporate culture, corporate responsibility, and environmental sustainability are Georgia College Business Law and Ethics Professor Jahan Eljabagi, Ali Gambrell, Mary Caroline Tracy, Julian Lopez, and Danielle Sullivan. I want to welcome this full house to WRGC Studios in Georgia College Connections. Thank you all for joining me today. Thank you so thank much you. for having us. Well, it is my pleasure, and thank you for bringing your story about what you did last summer uh, to Georgia College Connections. Uh, so as I mentioned at the top, y'all went to the Netherlands and traveled around that part of Europe, not just to sightsee, but really with a plan of action in mind to bring back some ideas about the way businesses operate there and the way businesses operate in the larger culture in which they exist. Uh, just to start off our conversation, why the Netherlands? Why is that an ideal location to bring back this information? One of the first things that attracted me was that they spoke English very well. <laughs> I think that that was kind of important so that I would feel at home. Um, also, they do a really good job at being environmentally friendly. And I feel like going over there was a way for us to really be immersed in a culture that has bought into the idea that it is attainable to live in this sort of environmentally friendly society. When we talk about the geography of the Netherlands, a lot of our conversations were focused on the fact that the country is so small and they do have such a large population that they're in, in a unique situation to find creative solutions to the issues that they face in terms of sustainability and environmental practice. And can you give me some context about how large is the Netherlands and about how many folks do they have over there? Uh, so the Netherlands is a very small country. But it's one of the smallest European countries. Much of the land has been reclaimed from the ocean, so some of it's even made by Dutch hands. And in terms of population, I don't know the answer to that question. But, of course, this is a country that's kind of in the northwest section of Europe. It's really close to England when you look at it on a map. Right. So it's the northwest corner. Just to the east of it is Germany. Just south of it is Belgium. And then you can easily go by train to the UK and to Paris in about three to four hours time. And of course, I commonly think of um, the Netherlands as, as a shipping community to an extent, like they were a port uh, mm -hmm. for Europe um, is what I understand to be a large part of their history. So a lot of seafaring people. Right. So a lot of the towns, Rotterdam, Amsterdam are all named after uh, like Rotterdam was named because they used to put hemp ropes in the river and they would rot and stink. And so then that's why they called it Rotterdam because it had this scent of rot. So it's definitely not just a seagoing community, but it's got rivers running all through it too. So um, a huge um, boat community and uh, lots of access to water routes. 
Well, and as we think about the reasons why y'all went there, I mean, is there any part about their history that makes them an ideal uh, place to have more progressive ideas about sustainability, uh, progressive ideas about uh, business ethics? Because they are such a small country and it is so densely populated, they want to take care of what they do have, especially with the challenges they face with their coast. Because a lot of the coast is man-made with dams and the dikes because they're fighting against the ocean, especially with the sea level rise. So I think that because they've had to put so much effort into maintaining their geography itself that they carry that out into majority of the aspects of their businesses and their personal lives as well. When, how does that natural place uh, work its way into something more abstract like uh, the ethics that you hold, especially in the business environment, or the way that uh, you think of your business in relationship to uh, something larger like the environment? To elaborate on what Danielle was saying, there's a lot at stake on those coasts. If they let climate change take a hold, they're losing a lot of their economy. And I think that plays a big role into why businesses are setting up these policies and taking action on it is because they have more to lose than just a couple of meters of sea rise. To them, that's whole cities and whole communities and whole shares of the market, essentially. There's a huge sense of urgency there over that point that they're talking about. Here we think, oh, well, we'll just move up in the hill country. There's plenty of land here. They don't have any land to escape to. They don't have more room. And that's not just about losing coastline or losing land, but it's also about landfill space. They don't have space to dump all their trash. And so they have to do something else with it. So they incinerate much of their waste or they're more conscious of it. Like we don't have the space, so let's try to reduce what we use. And so where in the United States, we have no sense of urgency because we still have so much room. We can put our landfills in a place where no one sees them. And we have quite a bit of space to go with those landfills. But in the Netherlands, they just don't have the room. And so they have that great sense of urgency on what are we going to do with the waste? What are we going to do about climate change? What are we going to do about these issues that are really important to us because we see it in front of our face? In addition to that, the sense of urgency is well known when you think about the Netherlands. And because of that, a lot of businesses and companies have put international headquarters in the Netherlands because they've proven that they will take on the challenge and they'll do it with not just the profit in mind, but as well as the people in mind. And I'm curious about when you think about this idea of borders, um, and you, you mentioned that here in the States, uh, we can go further inland and try to escape some of these problems, whereas uh, those people in the Netherlands are uh, confined to that small area. And when you think about that ethos, uh, and especially the urgency, um, how permeable are those borders? Are those concerns shared in some of the border communities around the Netherlands that y'all also traveled to during your trip? So there is some sort of flexibility with the understanding because of the establishment of the European Union, but there's also the unique idea of not being able to control what other countries are implementing. So we visited the Peace Palace at The Hague, and there we touched upon the idea of how do you get countries to have a mutual understanding of practice? And that's been a major question for everyone because you essentially can't make a country do something and you essentially also can't 
punish a whole country for not doing something as well. Well, we're going to take an opportunity now for a short break. If you're just joining us, you are listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, I'm talking with a group of Georgia College business students about the month they spent learning about business culture and corporate social responsibility in the Netherlands. Joining me today in the WRGC studio are Georgia College business law professor Jahan Aljabagi and Georgia College business students Ali Gambrell, Mary Caroline Tracy, Julian Lopez, and Danielle Sullivan. Stay tuned, we'll be right back with more Georgia Comms Connections. Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. If you are just joining us, we are talking about the season past. I've invited several students in Georgia College's J. Whitney Bunting College Business to talk about their experience <laughs> learning about differing notions of business law, business ethics, and business culture in the Netherlands. So joining me again today are Danielle Sullivan, Julian Lopez, Mary Caroline Tracy, Ali Gambrell, and Jahan Eljerbagi. So in that last segment, we were kind of just setting the table for a conversation about what y'all saw over there and what kind of the uh, larger ethos in the Netherlands is. Uh, but y'all did go as business students, and that means y'all are touring businesses and meeting business people. I was wondering if we could start this segment off talking about some of those businesses that y'all saw over there and kind of uh, delineating uh, what y'all saw over there uh, versus what we might be used to here in the States. And so I'll start that off in the actual form of a question, which where did, where did y'all go and who did y'all meet? <laughs> well, one of the favorite businesses that we visited, in my opinion, would have to be Interface Carpeting Company which is the world's largest modular tile carpet producer. And I really loved visiting them because they were so focused on sustainability specifically. Even in their designs and in the way that they produce the carpet and the manufacturing process, it was all focused on being as environmentally sustainable as possible. And it was really special to see that. And now, of course, that's a good example because that's something that our radio audience should be familiar with. Of course, North Georgia is the carpet capital of at least, you know, the Western Hemisphere at this point. Um, but we commonly think of it as a very um, resource intensive and kind of a, a, a business that would strip much out of an environment and perhaps even uh, the people who work in it. Uh, what is sustainability within the context of, of textile uh, manufacturing like that? So the carpet industry is largely based traditionally on the use of petroleum. However, Interface took on what they called Mission Zero, and they took initiatives to become 
carbon neutral by the year 2020. As we approach 2020, they have actually achieved that goal with alternative materials and sustainable manufacturing processes. But we also learned while we were there that they saw that success that it brought to its business. And they have started yet another initiative um, called Climate Take Back, where they intend to continue their initiatives to actually become carbon negative. So <clears throat> I do want to mention that Interface is a Georgia company. It was founded by a Georgia Tech graduate named Racy Anderson. And the facility that we went to was in Sherbensdale, which is the international headquarters in the Netherlands for the company. And Racy Anderson, knowing that he was from this really resource-intensive industry, wanted to be a leader and show other companies that are from manufacturing that this is not just for the windmill companies, this is not just for the solar industry. We in manufacturing can also seek to reduce our carbon footprint. We can reduce our energy consumption. We can make a difference and serve as an example for other companies. And they have reached many of their goals, but when they're talking about climate take back, they want to go beyond the goals of just you, you know, substituting the materials, using like tree-based rosins instead of petroleum-based products, and shift to where we're going to plant more trees so that it's going to sequester more carbon, or we're going to use alternative energy so that we are fueling our plants with clean energy. And this is something that's being done in Georgia, something in the Netherlands, and it's just such an inspiring company. And it was particularly inspiring because we listened to a clip from Racy Anderson. He has since, since died. And just to hear a man with a southern accent, too, while we were in the Netherlands <laughs> was really moving to the students. And it made us proud that, look, here's an example in the United States, too, of a company that seeks to make a difference and still provide an excellent product for its consumers. And so you said that he's a Georgia Tech grad and he has a southern accent. Is he from the state of Georgia? Um, and that leads me to my next question. And for our radio audience, you're nodding yes that he is from the state of Georgia. Um, but uh, did he start the company in the Netherlands or was it a, a domestic company here? And I'm just, I asked that question to ask a, a larger question of, is there a certain synergy within the area that y'all visited where people from other countries actually seek out that place because they understand that these business ideas, these business ambitions, uh, to some extent, these business dreams will be accepted there, whereas they would not be in other countries. Interface is a Georgia company and started as a Georgia company. The international headquarters was built after the Georgia company in manufacturing took off. Racy Anderson explained in his memoir that it was difficult for him to get buy-in from his employees, from his plant managers, that it was a journey for him to convince people. And the company in, in Netherlands is just an example of yet another manufacturing facility where that company is doing the good work that it was doing. Now, we saw lots of other companies before we got to Interface that were using sustainable energy and incentives for employees to like cycle to work. And so before we got to Interface, it looked like this is the Netherlands, this is Europe, this is the other, this may not be possible in the United States. And then when we get to Interface, we see, wait, here's a company from the United States that started this and is doing this in the Netherlands, not because the Netherlands is what made it happen, but because it was yet another place that it could do its good work. And when you mentioned things like incentives for uh, their employees to make personal decisions that would lift up that, uh, shall we say, the triple bottom line, are those same incentives in place for their Georgia employees? 
I don't know for sure if the incentives are the same for employees in Georgia, but that also is based off the fact that some of the incentives they have in the Netherlands is because they have the infrastructure to implement those incentives. We don't have the infrastructure to cycle to work. A lot of people in the Netherlands cycle, and it's their main form of transportation. Like, there's a fact that says there's one and a half bikes for every person that's over there. Majority of people have more than one. They use it for different occasions. So there are some similar incentives, I'm sure, but some things just we can't incentivize here because we don't have the same infrastructure and culture to do so. And especially when you talk um, about this uh, Georgia company uh, with that international headquarters there, uh, were they able to talk about just how they modulate their practices and expectations amongst their different locations internationally? The impression that I got is that Interface strives to have it mostly uniform across their locations, where each location is focused on We are doing this because it's our responsibility to to consumers. We're doing this because it is the right thing to do, not because we're worried about who's going to make the most money. And I think with that mindset, then each location in turn looks at the resources they have, the infrastructure that's available to them, and they take that mission and do what they can with what it's available to them. We also went to an industrial campus called Brightlands, and I'd love for the students to tell their impressions of that sort of business incubator, industrial campus. Well, let's talk about that in the next segment, because this is about time that we take another short break. Um, And so let's take that opportunity right now. Of course, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Uh, Today, we're talking about the differing business climates uh, between our own United States and then the country of Netherlands, uh, where all of my guests spent a month this summer. Of course, I am talking with Danielle Sullivan, Julian Lopez, Mary Caroline Tracy, Ali Gambrell, and Jahan El Jurbagi. <laughs> so stay tuned. We'll be right back with more Georgia College Connections. Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Of course, they say uh, radio is the most visual medium, and today we're taking you on a small trip to the Netherlands. Uh, All of my guests today spent a month in the Netherlands for a Georgia College study abroad trip. In the Netherlands, they were out trying to delineate the differences between American and European, most specifically in the Netherlands, business, climate, and culture. I'm joined in the WRGC studios today by Jahan El Jurbagi, Ali Gambrell, Mary Caroline Tracy, Julian Lopez, and Danielle Sullivan. Uh, now, in that last segment, we segued out on the 
um, talk of a, a business incubator community. And that's a, a good conversation for Milledgeville because, of course, uh, we have a business incubator community in the Milledgeville incubator community um, uh, physically housed in the Hancock branch right there next to City Hall on Hancock Street in downtown Milledgeville. Um, I'm not sure if y'all are familiar with that, but let's hear about what y'all heard in this European incubator community. We heard a name. It was thrown out there at the end. Uh, I'll ask for an introduction starting with that. Uh, we went to an industrial campus called Brightlands. It, it's one of the largest facilities for ammonia fertilizer, nitrates, and naphtha, which are a precursor to certain types of plastics. And so it had a lot of industrial piping. When you look at these things from a distance, it looks kind of scary. If anyone's been to Galveston, Texas, they've seen these large sort of plant facilities. Uh, but to drive through it in a bus <laughs> was a whole other experience for us. So we learned about how a lot of these companies that started as Dutch companies, specifically, there was a coal company that owned several of these companies and now have been bought up by foreign interests. But besides that industrial campus, they also have a smaller business incubator that is in partnership with Maastricht University. And the students stayed at the guest house at Maastricht University. And so we were invited into this space where uh, engineers and policymakers and inventors get together on the next new product. It's it's, it's this way, place where people think of creative solutions to modern problems. So for instance, do you guys remember the examples of products that they had there? One really interesting example of a product they had was a type of cloth that was made out of the strongest metal in the, in the world that has been created synthetically. And it was impermeable. You couldn't cut it, you couldn't rip it, no matter how, how hard you pulled and it couldn't be stabbed. And that was just one of the really interesting, innovative things that they were making there. And that would be something similar to what we think of as like carbon fiber when it's woven into a fabric. Mm -hmm. Almost like Precisely, that. Precisely, yeah. Mm -hmm. I believe the statistic they gave us was that it's 15 times stronger than steel. They also had used these, these new metals that they created in different types of parts for automobiles. For example, in motorcycles. New motorcycle parts that were more lightweight and actually stronger than what's currently used. They also had a car where they had created a glass for the windshield that was stronger than our normal glass so that it wouldn't be easy to be chipped by objects on the road. It was pretty inspiring to see a place that had both the industrial component, then labs for research and design, and then it also had this creative space, I think they called it the hub or something like that, where just minds could get together and bat around ideas in a shared space. And it just seemed very alive and lots of excitement going on about the next best idea. And when you talk about this shared space, um, we, we hear a lot now about the open business plan model for office spaces and things like this. But generally, we think of this within a individual company. Now, were these people joining together from different organizations and using the space to uh, create something different from their uh, existing component parts? There wasn't just one particular company with the open space. This was a consortium of any of the businesses that lease the property, essentially. So they all can either lease research space or industrial space or um, you know, design space. But then there was a common area that those people who lease the buildings around that hub could get together, they could eat together, they could get at the design kind of architectural room together and bat around ideas. It was just really fascinating to see what ideas might be generated. There was one company called Ionica 
that is doing next generation plastic recycling. And they're a company that also go to that central area to talk about other ideas with like the petro company or the nitrate company or, and to figure out like, what are we going to do with these particular resources? Because it's such a huge campus. This isn't just a small business incubator. This is like major industry. And so we get to the idea of that circular economy. Here you have this product that you're using, but then you have these byproducts. What can we do with the byproducts? Maybe we can use this as our raw material for this next industry that is right next door. And so it generates these really interesting ideas of what are we going to do? Can we close this loop with our materials? Well, maybe I'm focusing on the wrong things here, but I'm curious about the administration of, of this larger incubator space. Is there a rhyme or reason to uh, the parties that are there in that um, uh, physical location? Or is it a more of a free market of um, companies that need these inputs to achieve their business goal? From an infrastructure or bureaucratic perspective, Brightlands Camelot is the owner of the entire property. And that's a, and a private industry. It's a private in, industry. In, and mm -hmm. Camelot has now transitioned from these raw goods to what they called finished goods, like goods that have been manufactured into something else. And so Camelot now does a lot of pharmaceuticals instead of, you know, coal. And that particular company then leases out the major plots. And then I think they're the ones that facilitate the hub or the central building. And they have a restaurant. They have just an open kind of a computer lab space. And I think I didn't see anywhere where it was like a closed or sign up. It was anyone who wants to go in there can with their coffee. And that's a, another thing about the Netherlands that felt very different from the United States is that sense of time with breaks and mealtimes. Please tell me more. Yeah. So <laughs> when people took a lunch, they took a lunch. lunch. <laughs> no. I am unsure of when the Dutch people work because <laughs> they seemed to take three hour lunch breaks and work for an hour out of their day. It's just, that's how the culture there was, was that they were able to take the time to have a lunch, to have community and then go back to work. Yeah. I think they very much value the social time, but that social time also gives them an opportunity to get together and bat around ideas and a lot of times we hear about sometimes we need that silence to come up with the really creative ideas. And if we keep going and going and reading and reading or being busy, then it doesn't allow ourselves and our brains the time to be silent enough to come up with a good idea. And so in the Netherlands, with this culture of what appears to be really long lunches, I think also probably fosters a really creative spirit. You need a break in order to recharge your batteries to come back and work even harder and stronger. And so though it may appear that they don't work, you know, Mike, I have a family member who, li who works at one of those industrial buildings at the Camelot campus. And he was working 18 hour days because he was trying to get the plant going, but he would take a long lunch. Uh, and I think, no judging on this side, <laughs> but uh, speaking of breaks, it's time for us to take one ourselves, and so we will take that opportunity. Um, again, if you are just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections and WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, I am joined in the WRGC studio by Danielle Sullivan, Julian Lopez, Mary Caroline Tracy, Ali Gambrell, and Jahan El-Jerbagi. We are talking about a trip to the Netherlands and what 
We learned about business culture, business climate, and business innovation, obviously. So stay tuned to more Georgia College Connections. Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Uh, of course, you're hearing this now in um, what we term the fall, uh, at least as we're inside in the air conditioning. But um, we're focusing on the summer that has just passed us by. And to do that, we're talking with a group of Georgia College business students who traveled to the Netherlands to survey Dutch business culture and the Dutch business climate, and especially with a special thought to environmental sustainability. I am joined in the WRGC studio again today by Jehan Eljabagi and Georgia College business students Ali Gambrell, Mary Caroline Tracy, Julian Lopez, and Danielle Sullivan. Now in that last segment, we were talking about a, a very large industrial incubator space that they got to um, go and talk to a number of companies and really get um, from that last segment a slice of, um, I guess, Dutch life there. Um, and I we didn't have time to ask it in that last segment, but I thought I'd start off this next part of the conversation. Um, so it's a large industrial incubator space. Is this like an old business facility that has now been, uh, shall we say, upcycled into something different? Exactly. It's DSM, which was um, the old mines of the Netherlands, uh, which focused on coal. There was a coal mine on site that we drove past that's no longer being used. And then as the company grew, then you had the addition of different industrial plants like the ammonia and the nitrates. And then they also had old labs that we visited. So it's sort of like an industrial campus, but also a university campus in a way. It has these giant buildings where they did research. And so that, uh, that incubator or that common space is like a campus building. It's about three stories. It has an open foyer area um, sort of. Uh, building rooms off the side of that giant foyer that are open to whoever works at the greater campus. Well, and so, I mean, uh, something that might resonate with folks here, I mean, obviously this is a larger scale that what I hear y'all describing, but the Central State Hospital campus. And Bigger. so as as the yeah. mission changed, uh, they no longer needed all that capacity for administrative, industrial research and development, et cetera. And then they were they saw, you know, could we condemn this place and, you know, write it off? Or, you know, can we find a new use for it, either for our company or for uh, what I hear y'all describing as a potentially a better social good or at least a better business good? It just transitioned from coal. Uh, the country as a whole in the Netherlands shifted from coal to natural gas in about the 60s or 70s. And now they're having a big transition from natural gas to alternative energy, such as wind and solar. And so lots of the facilities there are, have been transitioned to new spaces, new technology, uh, 
a lot of it having to do with recycling, but still some of the chemicals that were the heart of the campus. Well, this is a digression, but um, no coal uh, for the Netherlands. Not anymore. And no smart coal or anything. They've completely moved away from that energy source. They have moved away a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And they knew as a policy that the country as a whole wanted to go in that direction. And we went to a coal mine while we were there, and we met with a coal miner who worked in that mine. And, and he told us about the history, and we went down deep and saw the conditions that they had to work in. And uh, then later on, we met someone in Amsterdam who was talking about how they're moving from diesel and gas to all electric in the city, how they've had these policy changes as in the country and within the cities. And we asked the question, were there people with pitchforks and torches who were up in arms about these transitions in major kind of fuel economies? And she said that there were initial, uh, you know, pushback, especially from business, for instance, in an area of Amsterdam where they transitioned from a road to pedestrian only. Uh, and in that case, the businesses were like, oh, it's going to cause me to lose business. People can't access my business, and so we're going to have a problem. But in those areas where they changed, they ended up having a huge increase in business because it was more pedestrian-friendly, uh, it created more of a tourist area, more uh, people-centric friendly. And so once people started seeing that these changes can actually pad my pocket, they can increase the money that I get, then they started buying in and being supportive. And so this transition from gas and um, diesel in Amsterdam to electric, this isn't like an all of a sudden a shift. It's yet another gradual shift. And because of these changes that happened in the past, there's not much that, that we could tell that has been opposition or pushback on it, which is shocking to us, I think. Well, and of course, uh, you mentioned something that I wanted to ask you all about a little bit later, but it seems to be a perfect time right now. They're, um, in Amsterdam, at least, or potentially the entire country, they're going through a major transition now, which they're trying to move away from their um, gasoline and diesel-powered vehicles uh, towards all-electric or from what we described uh, during some of our breaks, um, uh, people power. Um, can you talk about that transition as you all experienced it? Can you give us a report about uh, this transition over in the Dutch um economy and society. Absolutely. Amsterdam itself um, declared that they want to completely eliminate diesel and gas. They have been doing this. They've started it back in the 70s and the 80s. And back then there was more resistance, but now more than 50% of people vote, yes, let's push for this. And they're moving towards this because they're starting to build more infrastructure. They're building more garages for the bikes. They're making clean taxis, like electric taxis. They want all the buses to become electric as well. And they're just, it's not going to happen overnight, but they are slowly but surely making the infrastructure and taking the strides towards it. In a country that is four times less the size of Georgia, so four of the Netherlands could fit in the state of Georgia. Physical size. Physically, physical (laughs) size. Um, 50,000 people have electric cars. That's not even including hybrid vehicles. And so it's uh, not just the government, but also the individuals are investing and getting behind different modes of transportation. So something really cool that we learned while we were in Amsterdam is that through these processes of becoming Mm -hmm. greener and introducing public transportation and bicycling and all these things, there has been a decrease in automobile deaths in the city. There's actually only around 10 deaths per year 
And with us coming out of the train station and seeing all of the bicycles whizzing by, you would never think that there's only 10 deaths. You'd think that there was a million deaths because these people are driving so (laughs) fast on their bicycles. But there's actually only 10 deaths a year, which is pretty crazy, especially coming from Georgia and Atlanta, where we just see automobile deaths happen all the time. And from one of the things I learned from y'all's travel log uh, was that y'all actually um, didn't just experience it as spectators, but y'all participated in this uh, bicycle commute in and around um, Amsterdam and um, the greater uh, Dutch countryside. Uh, can you tell me about that? I mean, were you, uh, and for those of you who did partake, I mean, were you experienced bicyclists or novices uh, or first timers? So personally, I hadn't run a bike since I was six years old. And it was something that I was actually really anxious about. The day we got our bikes was the day I was um, almost in tears. And (laughs) I was super nervous, um, but I got on my bike. And hey, it's like learning how to ride a bike. You never forget. (laughs) So um, I got on and was able to cycle the rest of the time. And I really enjoyed it. We lived in a university that was about 15 to 20 minutes away from the train station. So sometimes we'd wake up at 4.30 a.m. and bike 15 to 20 minutes to the train station. But honestly, it was really a cool experience to be able to be so immersed in that culture. And my legs got stronger. (laughs) (laughs) My personal experience, it it was a daily struggle. But Looking back on it, I'm so glad that we biked every day. Like, I miss those morning bike rides, probably because it was downhill and getting home was uphill, and I hated that. But I personally look back because every day you were just physical and you felt good about yourself, and everyone is just riding around, and you just you can get where you're going on a bike, and it's easier, and at the time it's cardio, but looking back, I kind of miss it. <laughs> I actually work locally in Milledgeville at an IT company called Pineland Cogentes, and Last week, um, on Wednesday, I actually implemented a company bike ride uh, coming back. And me and four other employees uh, or coworkers, we all biked around Central State campus. And uh, we did a small tour where we learned a little bit about Central State. But it was really cool to be able to bike again, (laughs) for sure. Well, and did that experience give you all any insights into um, uh, the Dutch culture just in itself? Um, I remember looking at y'all's travel log and following some of the links. And uh, one of the things that was uh, particularly um, amusing to me was a photo contest about what is the most Dutch photo. And as you can uh, imagine, or if you can just uh, pull yourself into the cliche, many of those pictures had people on bicycles. Uh, so did you feel that that was a cultural expression in itself? I would say yes. It kind of showed a simpler way of living just through the the ease of using the bicycles and not stressing about certain road safety, maybe. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yes, just the whole experience was very, it felt very immersive in, in the community and in the culture. I feel like the Dutch people will definitely go the extra mile or work hard. And that's kind of what bicycling is, is taking that extra step. And I also think that bicycling reflects the culture in that you're pretty face to face with everybody and you can be abrupt sometimes or sometimes blunt and say, get out of my way. (laughs) And it's just their culture is to uh, speak their mind and speak their peace. And, and this is uh, probably something that I will cut out of the interview, but uh, uh, in a society with one and a half bicycles per person, 
bike locks? Does it, is everyone locking their bicycle? Oh, yes. yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we would we would double, triple check our bike locks yeah. to make sure they wouldn't get stolen. Mm-hmm. They'll tow your bike. They'll put it in oh, a yeah. shed outside of the city's perimeter. And it's basically like getting your car impounded. You have to find another way out there because they took seriously. your bike. <laughs> There's so much more infrastructure for biking than there is for cars. And <laughs> like cyclists have the right of way on the roads. And it's. And there's some roads that are strictly for bikes only, like cars aren't allowed to go down them. So it was definitely, I think, a culture shock in a way to see that because bikes run the road over there. Cars do not. (laughs) There's also bicycling lanes and specific stoplights for bicycles and bicyclists, um, as well as stoplights for cars. So you'd have a four-way stop with cars and bicyclists and the stoplights running on a system. It was pretty cool. And what's really cool about biking in the Netherlands as well is that the way the infrastructure is set up is you can get almost around the entire country by bike. A lot of the highways, it's just, I believe there used to be two-lane roads, but they actually changed it and repaved it so there's a one-lane road with one lane in the middle and the two bike lanes on each side for each direction. And the cars, if two cars are oncoming, they actually have to stop and give the bikes right-of-way and then pass each other using the bike lanes. And it's, it's really impressive how you can get almost anywhere on bike in the Netherlands. So. Mm-hmm. And now, um, Mary Caroline, you said that um, you have adopted some more uh, cycle-friendly habits since you've returned. Um, but I'll, I'll throw it out to the rest of you all. Um, now that you've returned to the States and specifically uh, Georgia, are you planning on bicycling more? Well, the unfortunate thing about that is we don't have the infrastructure for it here. Like, there's... There's places you can go, like in Milledgeville, you can go down to the Greenway and ride a bike. But I think coming back, it was a cool thought to think, oh, it would be fun to be able to ride your bike to class. But for example, for me personally, that's not the case. I wouldn't be able to do that because I live right across the street off the 441 highway and I'd get run over in a second. So unfortunately, like it's just one of the biggest differences is the fact that we don't make the infrastructure for people to be able to do that over here. Natalie? I think where the difference comes in is we talked about this as a group a lot is that a lot of the cities that we were in in the Netherlands, the history of them is that they were built to be people-centric. They were built to be used as by pedestrians and not for cars. Whereas here in America, our cities are built oppositely. They are built for cars. They are built to have things far apart. And that's where that safety concern comes in is because the infrastructure never considered pedestrians, whereas in those European cities, the cities were already built and they took the question as, okay, how do we get our people through the city instead of configuring it oppositely? But Ali does bike. I do ride my bike a lot. (laughs) I love my bike. Here in Milledgeville. Yes, I do ride my bike here in Milledgeville. Well, we're going to take another opportunity for a short break. If you are just joining us, you're listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today, we are talking about a trip to the Netherlands and with a special eye to Dutch culture in business and Dutch environmental sustainability um, and even even more in Dutch cycling habits as well. (laughs) Um, I'm joined today by Ali Gambrell. Danielle Sullivan, Mary Caroline Tracy, Julian Lopez, and Jahan Algerbagi. Stay tuned. We'll be talking more about Dutch culture on Georgia College Connections.
Thank you for staying tuned to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. If you are just joining us, we are taking an hour-long trip to the Netherlands. I'm talking with students from a study abroad trip. They are Georgia College business students, and they went to the Netherlands to learn more about Dutch business culture and a little bit about Dutch society, as uh, you may have heard in that last segment. I'm joined in the WRGC studio today by Mary Caroline Tracy, Julian Lopez, Danielle Sullivan, Ali Gambrell, and Jahan Eljerbagi. Um, so this is, I believe, the last segment that we're going to do, and I kind of thought we'd just kind of get Mm, you know, a little bit nostalgic for this one. Um, and I just start this by throwing it out to the group. Uh, you know, what is a takeaway or personal reflection from your experience in the Netherlands that you'd like uh, your fellow countrymen and countrywomen uh, to know or to consider? Um, for me, the biggest takeaway that I brought home with me is that the amount of effort that you give to making your life more sustainable doesn't have to be the same as the person next to you, and it doesn't have to be the greatest that you've ever seen. The Netherlands is a wonderful example of how coming together as a group provides a lot more power to right, those uh, decisions or, right, or ease um, of access. Yeah, to them. you see a lot more results with cooperative incentives and just agreement in general that if we all take a step to do five to 10 things different in our lives on a daily, we're going to be ahead of the curve a lot more than we are if we sit here and compare, well, you're doing more than I am or I'm doing more than you. It's about being cohesive and being a team more than anything else. When do you think that that raises the bar for um, the distance that we feel we have towards those kinds of societal changes? Um, I, I would definitely say yes. I think that in general, there's not much agreement in the States about the action that needs to be taken on climate change. And I think that is going to be the biggest hurdle is having everyone on the same page to start making those changes. And of course, as we mentioned earlier on in the conversation, climate change in the consequences of it are staring them in the face all of the time. Uh, whereas here we have a, a little bit more wiggle room. Right. And that's, I think, something that became extremely prevalent to us while we were in the Netherlands is that this issue affects every single person on this planet. There's not anyone that doesn't have a stake in what's happening to our environment. Something that I brought back that I learned in the Netherlands is how to recycle, honestly. I didn't really have a grasp on the things that could be recycled and the things that were supposed to be thrown away. Um, but the Netherlands actually had this revolutionary idea of putting pictures on, <laughs> <laughs> on different bins of what waste needs to go into each bin. And so you'd have things with food on it or you'd have things with bottles, then you'd have things with cans um, and then things with paper. And it made it really easy and you don't have to think about it. It's immediate like, oh, this is exactly matches the picture on the sign. So I'm gonna throw it in this bin. And that's something that I think would be a really easy shift or fix in America is to just have signs to teach people how to throw their things away efficiently. <laughs> My biggest takeaway from our visit to the Netherlands actually is on a bit of a different thread, and it has to do with the culture of the Dutch people. And something that really struck me was how valuable it is to sit down for a meal or with family or friends for an hour or more at a time, no matter how busy your workday is, just to really take time to 
conversate and build relationships and have a good time with people that you care about. Taking that time just really helps you in every way throughout your day. And I think that's really an invaluable thing that we could use a lot more of here in the United States. So that was, that was probably my biggest takeaway from the entire trip. I personally think that my biggest takeaway was the fact that before I went over there, I was extremely oblivious and uneducated as to all of the policies and all of the procedures that you can implement to do little things like the fact that we don't have a lot of recycling infrastructure over here in the U.S. and people don't know how to do it. And I think my biggest takeaway was the fact that I came back and I felt so much more educated. And I feel like the biggest issue we have over here with putting our foot forward to do something about it is the fact that nobody wants to get educated on it. If you don't go out and go and find those businesses and you don't research and you don't see what can be done, then there's nothing that you can do. So my biggest thing was the fact that I wish we would just take a step back and look at the bigger picture rather than brush it off like a lot of us do over here because I know I was guilty of doing the same thing. And then I went over there and I realized how much can be done and how little things can really make a big impact. So people in the Netherlands, it's a capitalist society. People in the Netherlands like to make a buck, maybe more so than people in the United States. And it was interesting to see in a country that has this capitalist mindset where people want to make money, that they were willing to make changes that maybe from our perspective don't look like they're going to make money, that they make cost money. But in fact, they've found ways in all of these things that we've talked about to make money off of these things, to make money off of recycling, to make energy from burning waste, to uh, be more efficient with picking up trash because it's got a solar cell on it that tells the person to pick up the trash instead of having to go buy empty bins all the time. So they have all these really smart ways that save money. And the people as a whole didn't seem to complain about the fact that they were sorting their recyclables because they had four bins at their houses or at their dorms or at the restaurants. It was just so easy and accessible for everyone. And then everyone had tote bags with them or here we are on GPP talking about tote bags, the infamous... Uh, Nina you know, Toten bag. Yeah, Nina Toten bag. Anyway, they would carry their groceries or they would have their own cups. Um, they, they didn't use straws or didn't ha use plastic bags. There was just so much less consumption, it seemed. And you come back to the United States and I just, I'm in the grocery store line and the person in front of me has what looks like a gazillion bags, you know, one item per bag. And it's just striking to see the difference because bags cost money and they cost the business money. And if like Aldi's is an example, it's a German company and they implement that structure because it is efficient, because it uses less resources and they're making money off of that model. And more companies could use these examples to not just do the right thing or do good for the world, but to, to make money for their companies. Now, is that an evolution of capitalism or is that a different shall we say, flavor or <laughs> paradigm of capitalism? Well, there, for example, I know Danielle will probably want to say you cannot get water anywhere you go <laughs> because they are going to charge you for bottled water or charge you for flat water or whatever. And, you know, in the United States, they give it away free. Here we are allowing people to use the toilet for free. There they charge you to use the toilet. Everything is has a dollar on it there. And so sometimes we think, yes, we're from this hyper-capitalist, but no, no, no. The Dutch know how to make money off of everything, but they also live in this very, like, 
individualistic society, but at the same time, for instance, they have a right to die law there that people can choose in an end-of-life situation that they could have essentially assisted suicide, which is almost like this, I guess, a libertarian sort of, you know, let me make my own decisions. Don't let the government tell me how I can live and die. And so I suppose from a philosophical point of view, the people there, they just have different sort of, I don't know, political views or philosophical, but it's not across the board. I went to another Airbnb while I was in the North and the guy was like, yeah, I don't sort my recycling. I put it all in one bin. So you can too. So there are people like that that are like, I'm not going to recycle. So I think there's diversity in their culture. It's not just a bunch of people holding hands, recycling and, you know, (laughs) uh, and cycling too. Um, But they're a permissive culture. Like they have, um, maybe shouldn't mention at this (laughs) juncture, but lots of drugs are legal there. Um, not just marijuana, but also other types of drugs. And so it's like this culture where we're going to let individuals make their choices. And and free to fail. Free to fail. And yet you have this like imposition of recycling, which we might see as an imposition, an imposition of the bike lanes, which take away from the road lanes. So I don't know how to reconcile those two different, what seem like disparate views here in the States. I had a conversation with, Um, someone while I was there, I don't remember who particularly, um, had mentioned to me that the idea is more so when the Dutch see an issue, even if it's one that they particularly don't like, as such as drug use and things like that, it does no good to not address it. Um, The government looks to seek solutions that they can maybe control things and maybe lighten the consequences of whatever situation they are facing. And I think that's where the biggest difference lies is that in the States, there are a lot of people who want their opinions to be the right opinions and want it to be their way or the highway, rather than saying, okay, we as a community have this issue. What do we do to address this issue, whether we agree with it or not? Exactly. They're very pragmatic. I think that's the the word. They look at a problem and they're like, what is the best solution? Whether or not I agree with it or not, let's try to solve this problem. And here in the United States, we definitely seem to get very bogged down with sort of our interests, our own personal Mm -hmm. interests Mm -hmm. and how Mm -hmm. they will fare at the end of this. Exactly. And as we're running out of time in our conversation today, if you could bring back some aspect of the society or culture uh, that you experienced within the the business realm or within the larger cultural space, what would it be? There is a lot to consider. But for me personally, seeing the way that businesses came together like Brightlands Campus and like Blue City, which is a circular economy type place, seeing people come together to create cooperative ideas instead of trying to compete with each other and get one up on the next person, I think is something that I would really love to see in my career. While I was there, other than having 12 students, my family was there as well. And my son fell in love with cycling he said he felt like this is where he was supposed to be. And it wasn't because of the country so much, I think, as it was the bike lanes for him. <laughs> and so when we came back, we had this challenge. I live on a state highway, and having come from a country where everyone is looking for cyclists so they don't hit them, we enter a country where it's a danger to be on the roads because they're not looking for cyclists at all. And so I could not let my nine-year-old son on the road with his newfound passion for cycling. And so 
I put a bike rack on my car. We take them to our little town. But we have kind of set a, a mission that before I die, we will try to have at least one bike lane that is accessible from you know where I live to the schools. There's not even a sidewalk to the schools where I live. And now he he's in Monticello on his bike almost every day. And I really believe in the power of a role model. And this nine-year-old kid on his bicycle might make other kids ask their parents, hey, can I get on my bicycle? And maybe 10 years from now and 20 years from now, there'll be more people and adults out on the roads on the cycles. And I feel like that's really powerful. Going on this trip, here are 12 people that now are going to be role models in their peer groups and in their communities saying something like, you know, here, use a cup, don't use a straw or bring your bag to a place or this is how you can recycle. And and now they're going to spread the word. And I think that was what was really meaningful to me is to see all the things that they learned and know that it's going to reach more people beyond them. I think a simple thing that I would bring back is just the fit lifestyle. So the cycling, the walking, to just plan ahead and plan when I'm going to leave and how long it would take me to get to the place that I'm going if I'm walking there, just because it actually helps me. It makes me feel good and it just makes me happier, that kind of stuff. One thing that I think I would like to take back would be just the prevalence and acceptance of such cultural diversity that was in the Netherlands, especially because of the location. I met people from all throughout Europe and then way past Europe when we were in the Netherlands. And it was such an experience talking to these people and hearing their life stories sometimes and how they view the world and how that view differs from our views and how I've been raised to view the world that I live in. And it was such an experience. I wish that more people here in the U.S. could kind of have something like it. So that's one thing that I would definitely love to take back. All right. Well, Julian Lopez, Mary Caroline Tracy, Jahan Eljabagi, Ali Gambrell, and Danielle Sullivan, I want to thank you all for joining me on this edition of Georgia College Connections. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. You've been listening to Georgia College Connections on WRGC 88.3 FM. Today we talked about a month-long experience that our guests had in the Netherlands. They are all Georgia College business students, and they participated in a study abroad trip in the Netherlands trying to learn about Dutch culture, the Dutch business climate, and environmental sustainability. On behalf of WRGC 88.3 FM, I have been your host, Daniel McDonald. It's been my pleasure spending this portion of the evening with you here on Georgia College Connections, and I want you to know that I look forward to convening with you next time.